Um, morning, if I can ask people to settle down and if I can ask um, the two welcome speakers to come to the front, Nadia and Tawana. Um, and we can get underway. Um, if I can ask the people still to just to settle down. We are still expecting one or two, um, a couple more people. Transport, I think, was a real problem this morning on the highways, I'm told. Um, so all of you who managed to get here on time get lots of brownie points. Um, but uh, I think we'll fill up as we go. I think it's, it's time to get going. Um, so before we, I mean, in, welcome to everybody. I'm glad that, to see such, a, such a, a, a number of people here, some familiar faces, some some new faces, um, and I really look forward to the coming, to, to the next couple of days. Um, I'd like to just kick off by asking first Professor Tawana Kupe to, to say a few words in welcome. Um, he is many things, but most recently he is the vice principal of the, of, of the university as of a couple of days ago, so congratulations on that. It's a very big job, let me tell you, um, with lots of responsibilities. Um, Tawana. Thank you, Professor Kruger. I think this is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is the eighth year of the conference. So this is my eighth welcome address to this conference. The only reason why I get to welcome people at this conference is because Professor Kruger asked for money from my office, <laughs> which if I don't give, I, I'm not able to give the welcome speech. So, <laughs> so but, um, but, um, I want to wish you a very warm welcome to this conference. I'm very, very proud of this conference. That is why when Professor Kruger sends me an email each year, I say, of course, how much? He never gets what he actually wants, but as close as possible. He always inflates his sums as well, so that's fine. <laughs> so, but this, you will hear from what I say why I think this conference is very important. As I, uh, 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 friends, you correct me. The, let me put it this way. The two major radio conferences are radio... Yeah, radio Days Europe, and then Radio Days Africa. So, and I think that, that says something about the status of this conference and also the fact that we're now running it for the eighth year. I think the fact that this conference is sustainable year on year over eight years is a reflection also of the sustainability of radio and that radio is thriving as a medium on our continent. Because, uh, and I'm going to disappoint all of the social media enthusiasts, but I suspect they are not here. So I can say bad things about it. If you really want to talk about social media, contrary to popular hype, the medium that is really social is radio. What people are confusing about, about social media and calling it social media when it isn't is that the technologies that enable what people call social media are very different from those that make radio. And the difference is in the following. It's very quick. It allegedly reaches more people than others, although the research has not been done to show that on our continent. But I think speed does not make something more social than the other. The most social media in the holistic sense of the word social is actually radio, especially if you are speaking about the African continent. Because one thing that is true of the African continent still and is an attribute that we should keep, is that the oral tradition 
or people speaking is very, very strong. And also what radio does, it simulates the, or the oral tradition. So if you go all over the continent, in the most underdeveloped of areas, you will find an old style radio with villagers still listening to the radio and talking about what, what, what was on the radio. That is what we call social. All communication is social, but it becomes really social when it connects real living people in social spaces. Now with social media, the problem with it, as you know, is I have my phone and I can send all sorts of ludicrous things to some people but not others. Then I call that social media. And as we also know, and I'm glad you are talking about it in your conference, social media, so-called, is the one thing that has enabled fake news and given it a new lease of life. Fake news is not new. If you go back to the 18th and 17th centuries, fake news was very big. But that was the days before there was professional journalism. Professional journalism enabled people to curtail what is called fake news. But who has given fake news a new lease of life? their so-called social media. Because everybody now is a journalist and can send anything. And because they can't see anybody and they're not accountable to anybody, they can literally say anything. Whereas in radio as we know it, the ethical dimension of the social has always been important and is still maintained. So I also want to say something else about radio, why it's, this conference is very important. On our continent, radio is still the most democratic medium in many senses. And I'll, I'll mention about six or seven points why I say so. Now, reach, whether you like it or not, the medium that reaches the most people on this continent is still radio. Television gives the impression that it does, but actually television is a very urban medium in our continent, because what do you need to have television on our continent? You need electricity, and also the capital outlay, even for families or individuals, is larger than you would get from from radio. You need to buy the TV set, you need to have an electricity connection, you need to pay some electricity authority to keep connected, you need a television license. If you want more channels like DSTV or multi-choice, which is a very strange name, multi-choice is when less means more, because they also often have the same programs across many channels. You need a, a subscription which is very, very expensive. And often, some of those people who afford those television subscriptions have salaries that cannot match the subscriptions that they are actually paying. So it's also conducive to corruption. So, but, but with radio, very leaky capital outlay. The older types of radio still exist across the continent, and they can be listened to by a whole village or a whole family without, and there's no fight over a remote control or anything of the sort. So reach. Is, is reach is very important in democracy. Something is democratic if it reaches more people or can be accessed by more people. So that, that, that is the first point. The second point is that radio is the only medium in Africa that is multi-class or has social group accessibility across all classes. When it comes to television and other media, and including print media, high quality magazines and others, you need to pay cash on a daily basis or a subscription. There's no such charge for radio. So radio reaches both the poorest and the richest in their most fancy cars. So it's again democratic in that sense that everybody has got access to it and the financial barriers to it um, are much more limited. So it has more relevant content. And notice I'm choosing my words carefully. Uh, radio has more relevant content 
precisely because of another attribute. Unlike television, it does not rely heavily on imported programming. People can actually produce relatively inexpensively their own content in their own local. And also second, it uses uh, local languages. Television and print media in Africa are very strange media. They actually use quite largely European languages at the expense of African languages. But there's no such barrier in, in radio. They use most and any of the local languages. Go to any African country. Some of the smallest languages have airplay precisely because they are local, if you like. But if you go on television, you are hard put to find local content in local African languages. You are, but you'll be well saved by having a lot of content that is imported and is then called multi-choice. Yeah, apologies to the multi-choice people that are in the room. So radio also is more democratic than other media that it gives the voiceless more voice than any medium. Read any newspaper in our continent and watch television news. You find that invariably the sources or the people that are interviewed are right at the top because they also have to speak English and be articulate and wear a nice suit and be in a big office. But on radio, a journalist can go out there with a simple recorder and a microphone and record all of those grandmothers in the village. And they will not have to worry about makeup, what dress to wear, what their surroundings look like, because nobody's actually going to see them. So it gives them the confidence to actually speak. I know so many people, given where I'm located class-wise and in terms of my job, who are afraid to go on television, if they, even if they're nice clothes, they look very nice, they have the best makeup you can have, but they're still intimidated by television cameras. But, also, but on radio, there's no such intimidation, because what you look does not matter. You could be the ugliest person, whatever that means, but you could still actually speak and nobody would concentrate on that. They would concentrate on what you actually say and what you are actually saying. So that's very important also as, a, as, as democrats. I've already spoken about the diversity of languages. But also in recent times, especially in the last 20, 30 years, radio has played a crucial role in democratizing African politics. We remember that 30 years ago, including in South Africa, 20, 30 years ago, including in South Africa, there was no democratic politics. South Africa was the worst case where large majority of people could not vote until 1994. But also, what, is, what people do not realize is that across the continent also, we had a preponderance of one-party states and military governments, and con radio that was controlled by the state. If you go back to the early 1990s, two things happened. Politics became plural. Multi-party dispensations happened. Military dictators fell away, new parties were allowed. But new radio stations, some of them represented by people in this room today, were created. Remember that if you go to South Africa before 1994, beyond 702 and others, the, he, Greg Maloka didn't exist, he's the Kaya FM man outside. He didn't, the station didn't actually exist. It was part of the SABC, a complex controlled by the apartheid government. So if you drew a map of the radio situation landscape in Africa 20, 30 years ago, you'd be astounded at the explosion of both private and community radio stations. But at the same time, if you drew a political map 
the existence of political parties and who was in parliament and who is in government and who people can, what choices people have to vote, you will see an explosion of choice as well. So the two things actually go very well together. So one of the drivers of democratic or pluralist politics on our continent has been actually the development of radio itself. In the proliferation of radio stations, in their niches in which they, they actually, so you now have talk radio, music radio, and related radio stations. And that has actually been good also for economic development and for social development on the continent. Let me not just paint a romantic picture. Radio also has been an instrument of hate politics and genocide in our continent in the last 20, 25 years. And let me mention the, uh, the, the, an, exa an example people might think is extreme. The genocide in Rwanda, where over 100 days, 100,000 people were being killed, and nearly a million were killed. One of the key drivers of that kind of genocide was a radio station calling itself a community radio station. But this radio station was not a community radio station. It was controlled by the ruling party's militias who were spreading hate and annihilation of others. And its electricity connection was, was traced right to the state house, to the president's house itself. So radio can also be used as an instrument of destruction on the continent. But what is important there, I'm quite sure you'll be talking about is, what are the ethics around you know, running radio stations in this pluralistic environment? Another example you might have heard of is in Kenya, and I saw a worrying report the other day, that when elections come in Kenya, ethnic tensions rise. And often some radio stations have been guilty of fueling ethnic tensions and ethnic hatred. And that happened in, the, in, in one or two elections ago where there was serious violence which led to two, some politicians being induct, inducted by the ICC, the current president and his deputy. So we need to guard against that. But overall, I can stand here and say that radio is a force for good on the continent. It gives a voice to everybody. It drives pluralist politics and also drives all sorts of good things. As I said before, it costs less, although it is not cheap, especially in the digital era. I think the real problem on our continent when it comes to public radio is underinvestment by public authorities in radio, when it is important for development initiatives. If you had more radio in our communities, dealing with issues like the easily... Uh, 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 the diseases that you can eradicate easily, HIV campaigns and related things, child immunization, ensuring there's no high maternal mortality. If public radio, there was more investments in public radio, more stations with good content, reaching many people in their languages, giving women and young people a voice, you'd find that the development of the continent would be actually be accelerated to the betterment of all. So the problem here is that in Africa, there's a lopsided investment in television. I can tell you this, if we shut down multi-choice, the economies of the continent will still grow. Because with multi-choice, we're losing money to the Americans. Because all of their content is actually imported. And people who, have, who people waste a lot of their budget subscribing to multi-choice instead of actually listening to good radio, leading a healthy lifestyle, not increasing obesity, making sure children read, and all of that, and all of that. So what we need to do to develop our content, shut down multi-choice, disinvest in this uh, loop-sided uh, amount of money in television. I'm being serious. Look at what television involves. We don't manufacture the television sets. 
We don't. So it doesn't create job creation. We import the radio, we import the, the television sets at huge cost because we have to buy them in American dollars or euros or the British pound. And then we also need the technical equipment that goes with it and to renew it all of the time. What are we doing that? Nobody does that, putting a lot of money in things that benefit only a few. Remember that when you look at cost-benefit analysis of television and radio, you find that there are fewer people, perhaps with a lot of television, uh, 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 with a lot of television sets. Because now you find people have a television in the bathroom, a television in the bedroom, a television in the lounge, all of that, and very few radios, actually. But it's a few people, it's only the elite actually at the top and so on. So this lopsided investment in television needs to be corrected. And also what we really need to do is invest more in radio, make sure that all radio stations now can access new digital technologies, which some of the digital technologies actually have made it even cheaper to create content for television and to multiply the platforms by which people can actually listen to radio. Because now you see the young people are, are listening to the radio on their phones. A, 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 and so on and so forth. So that, that is what we, we need. Also, what has happened to radio is that it has suffered restrictive licensing and regulatory conditions. More li radio licenses should be given across the continent. One of the ways it should be done is that most African countries, including South Africa, must quickly move to the more digital multi-platform era and release those frequency spectrum for other purposes, including radio and that actually would create more radio stations. And the other thing is, the other people who are guilty of not giving radio is true, is universities themselves. That includes Professor Kruger, although I think I will acquit him at the end of this because he's running this conference, Radio Days Europe. And this is why my gripe with what we do as universities. And also disclosure, I'm also a professor of media studies, so I'm also guilty as church, so this is not and I don't attack on my colleagues, excluding myself. If you do now an audit of what we teach in journalism and media studies programs, there's again a huge concentration on television, print media, and social media now. But the curriculum has a big hole when it comes to radio. And this is a huge paradox. When the medium that reaches most people on our own continent is radio, we teach less about radio, we teach more about television. This is what the young people have called decolonized minds that need to be decolonized. Because that is exactly a colonial mind. You are actually, you think that something which is not so important to you and not so effective is what you are going to focus on. And so you spend a lot of money importing televisions, flat screens, caved television, all of that, and it costs you even more. And you don't invest and you don't teach much. So universities must also decolonize their curriculum and give radio its place in the curriculum. And also make sure that the way they teach radio keeps up to date with where radio is going. So I'm going to make a proposal at this conference uh, and, and give it to Professor Kruger, and uh, my office will uh, support you as I normally do, and this is the proposal. Can you, at the end of this conference, have come up with a task team? We like task teams in South Africa. The task team <laughs> must be created to audit all of the curriculum of the journalism schools in Africa to see how much of radio and what of radio they teach. And then to implement it, because also we like test teams and we have these reports, but we don't implement the findings. 
and then also suggest what should be done about it and in what time frame. My office will be the secretariat for that task team. I would like, as an interim measure, I believe in democratic politics, to nominate Professor Matata Tzedu, gentleman in the Cape, to be the chair of the task team. I'll tell you why. This, 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 is not a, this is not an accidental. This is not an accidental nomination. Professor Matata Zedo has previously worked with the, the, the All Africa Editors Forum and SANEF here. And also, I think that, so he has a knowledge of colleagues all over the continent. The other year when, for example, there was a, a coup in Burkina Faso, which was on radio, by the way, he was caught up in the coup there in, in, in Burkina Faso. So he knows the continent very well. And he teaches uh, uh, journalism here in South Africa. And now he's a, a deputy chairman of the biggest podcaster you can ever find in the continent, the SAPC. So no person could be better qualified uh, uh, to, to do that. Then also from the private sector, I would like to, to make sure that, at least uh, in the interim basis, uh, Ms. Nadia Bolbolia, who works with the broadcasters, is also on the task team. And then, and then we can see, because the private sector also needs to invest in the training of journalists, because that is part of the problem on our continent, that the owners of the radio stations and the public media do not invest in the training. The universities cannot do it alone. The, the, the broadcasters who are going to employ these people need to have a say in the curriculum and also need to invest in the training. As I said, my office will be the secretary for this task team. So when we meet for Radio Days, Africa, ninth edition next year, the first presentation, I'll speak for five minutes, then the task team will report and tell us what the time frames are. Yeah, because if we don't do it that way, it's not going to happen. So we have a year from today to actually do the audit of the curriculum to suggest reforms, to agree on those reforms, to present here, and then to implement. I'll then round up the vice chancellors of all of the universities to make sure that the, the curriculum is implemented accordingly. So we are agreed, okay. Agreed, house, agreed. Thank you. My last point now, I've spoken too much, like Castro. Rest, may his soul rest in peace. I think that what is interesting about radio, for those people who despise radio, they'll be surprised to notice that radio is showing adaptability to the new techno digital technologies and ways of reaching audiences, including the youth who, as you know, are the largest population group in our continent. So if you go around the world, and I spent the last two weeks until a couple of days ago in the United States, and spoke to people in universities and a lot of people in business particularly, they wanted to make business in Africa because they always pointed out to me that Africa is a youth bulge, and that if you actually plot it, Africa is going to be the continent has a growing population, but it's a young potential, a young population with a potential, you know, to become a market for goods, services, and related things. So I think that it's important that our young people have taken up technology in such a way, but also. The way young people take up technology sometimes is you don't know what they are doing, and often they are doing seriously harmful things to themselves and to others. I think radio can actually be an instrument which we use to make sure that the youth adopt technologies in ways that will develop themselves, their own societies, and our beloved continent, Africa. Again, this is a big opportunity for us to rethink policy and regulation. Because 
Is it necessary to have these restrictive regulations around ownership and related matters when the digital technologies are creating a different environment? Our bureaucrats are behind the cave in terms of what that digital technologies could do to changing, uh, further changing the media landscape. So content strategy and also rethinking content strategy. I looked at your program and I can see there's a, a pride of place for content strategies around radio. That is even more important now. Because what's happened also in the continent with the proliferation of radio is that some people have been given, in, given licenses to mint money. They run these commercial radio stations with a lot of imported music as well. Or they run these commercial radio stations with aimless talk sometimes, not directed at all. It's aimless talk that's meant to self-promote the talk show hosts as themselves, about themselves, about me, myself and nothing to do actually with their audiences. So I think that radio is one medium that could teach people the ethical principle of respecting your audiences as not only consumers of the advertising that goes with the content, but also as citizens with rights and responsibilities, but also citizens who deserve communication, information, and entertainment needs and wants to make them full beings that can contribute to their society and contribute to the development of the society. So thank you very much. I've spoken for too long, but I wish you very well uh, in this conference, and, uh, as usual, and that you will take up some of the issues that I raise. And I, I wish just to emphasize also that the proposal I made is not exactly a proposal. It's actually an instruction, so it has to be obeyed. Thank you. Well, thank you, Tawana. Um, and yes, you really do kind of have a, a talent for pulling rabbits out of the hat. Uh, but I have to say, it's a very interesting rabbit, um, and uh, and uh, it's certainly worth um, pursuing <laughs> further. Um, I'm also really taken by the description of radio as curing everything, including obesity, spots, <laughs> and everything else. So, yeah, we love that. Um, can I just briefly introduce Nadia Bulbulia from the NAB, who will also just have a few, have a quick uh, welcome. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Hi. Welcome. You can never speak after Professor Cooper, ever, and especially not when he's given you an instruction. So, Tata Matetu Tedu and I will have to meet with France after this because no doubt the prof's going to call us in 24 hours to say what happened. So, welcome everyone. It's really lovely to be here. Um, the eighth Radio Days. Congrats, Franz Kruger and your team. Um, and to everybody here, well done on making it. Um, you know, after prof has covered almost every single one of the issues that I wanted to address, I'm just going to underscore um, some of the key and pertinent points simply because... I come from a policy regulatory space, and because, like many of you in this room, we've walked this journey since 1994, and I think we have a lot to celebrate and a lot to appreciate as well. But I think we, we converge here today in a very interesting time in our history, not only in South Africa, but certainly globally. I think the issues that Professor Cooper raised around fake news and alternative facts has really been capturing all of us, um, no matter where we are in the world, particularly because of a tweeting president with yellow hair up north. 
Um, I think that what's happened to the media is everything's spun and turned around on questioning ethics and credibility and true journalism. So I think that the work that universities like these do are absolutely more important now than ever before around creating journalists who understand the integrity of journalism as well. Um, so I'm sure lots of you from time to time look at the UNESCO sites. I know I do. It's always very interesting. And on a recent visit to the UNESCO site, um, it's listed that almost one billion people, one billion people don't have access to radio. And I think just to the point that Professor Coupe raised around the affordability and its pervasiveness, um, one has to pause to wonder about the one billion people in our world who actually don't have you know, access to basic radio services. Um, and I think we need to reflect also on where we all sit in this room. I see many of you are probably tweeting. You've got uh, devices in your hand. Um, and as my teenage daughter always says to me, Mom, check your privilege. I think we need to recognize that for many of us in this room, we do have access to multiple platforms, but the majority of our people are seeing radio as their first um, medium. So in terms of policy and regulation in South Africa, we have come a long way, and I think that um, an old regulator like me believes that we still have a longer way to go, even though we've increased local content conditions that moved right up to 60% for the public and community services and 35% only for commercial players. You would have known that um, there was an executive at the CEO uh, at the, the SABC who recently pushed that to 90%. And sadly, this is what we're told, is audience numbers dropped. And I think therein lies the big question around how we see ourselves as Africans and South Africans when there seems to be this push for international content that doesn't come from our own continent. And the other sad reality is if audiences did decline because the quota went up that high, what does that say about the economic model of, 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 of broadcasting? I'm sure those of you sitting in the room here who run services know that you are all competing for the same advertising pie. And that's still a big issue and a huge challenge for us um, in this country and elsewhere. We also have seen moves to pushing online podcasting, online radio, online media, and in some markets they're fully digitized. Um, yes, we will get there. We've missed our ITU deadline on digital terrestrial television. Thankfully, there's no deadline on when we move into digital audio, but the private sector has already been testing, as well as the community sector, um, different technologies like digital audio, DAB and DRM. So that's happening. Um, and we know that the reason why there's been such slow movement in terms of the online space is to the point of affordability. And so it's no surprise that the hashtag data must fall was really initiated and pushed by aspirant, innovative broadcasters who are trying to make sure they have an online presence. The space is changing rapidly, um, and I think to, to Prof's earlier point, in that change we are still needing to deal with some of the hardcore basic principles. Issues around prohibited content, so issues around hate speech, the fact that you have almost every sort of phobia online is quite, quite frightening. Issues around um, how we deal with children, so even on an online space, as radio is beginning to push in that direction, we now begin to look at self-regulatory mechanisms, and it's something we're going to have to deal with going forward. So 
when I looked again at the, the World Radio Day, anybody celebrated World Radio Day? That's the UNESCO World Radio Day. I hope you have been celebrating that to, to, to just recognize and to acknowledge that this is the most um, powerful medium still, certainly on our continent more than anywhere else. Um, and I quite like the quote on their website and when they said that um, since its invention in 1895, the radio just won't sit still. From a big box with lights, bulbs, and dials, to a portable unit small enough for one's pocket, to an app, to a unit you can set up at home, the radio has changed its look, but continues to have a singular role, a force for human rights around the world, as well as a powerful enabler of solutions to the challenges that society faces. I thought that was quite sweet. Thankfully, I was not in the age where it was about a big box with bulbs and lights. Um, today we're literally listening to the radio on our cell phones. We've seen a lot of the recent uh, data that comes out of the Broadcast Research Council that does audience research that shows the patterns and the shifts. And the one nice thing though to recognize is that we still listen to the radio more than three hours a day, some of us. It is still our primary medium. Uh, it is our go-to. Yes, the majority, and it's shifting now to a bigger number, almost 35% um, of, of the audiences that were surveyed are beginning to listen to radio on your cell phone. You must have a very long battery life, I'm sure. Um, but it is interesting to see these shifts. What's also, you know, very good and useful as a tool for all of us sitting in this room is that public service radio still dominates, and for those obvious reasons that have been pointed out already around language diversity in particular. But public radio still plays a key and critical role, um, not only in South Africa, but in all our democracies. Um, and further on in that UNESCO website, they go on to talk about where social media and audience fragmentation can put us in a media bubble of like-minded people. That's pretty scary, isn't it? We're all kind of the same people converging on one little site and we hear nothing different or alternative because we feel so comfortable with each other. Radio is still uniquely positioned to bring communities together and to foster positive dialogue for change by listening to its audience and responding to their needs. Uh, radio provides diversity of views and voices and pushes us to begin to address the challenges we all face. Radio informs us, transforms us through entertainment, information, and of course, audience participation. I think we need to say long live radio, long live, in fact. As we all sit here today, I think the next three days is an opportunity to talk about the critical challenges you're all facing working in the radio space. It is highly competitive. In South Africa, we have more than 256 community radio stations, more than 40 um, public and uh, commercial services. Very competitive, and all of you are looking for the same advertising revenue to keep your services going. And so what do we do about reinvesting into radio? The public purse cannot be stretched that far. The SABC is going for yet another bailout. We are seeing services and audiences drop, and therefore advertising begins to drop. These are the realities. Who is going to invest in radio? Who is going to invest in the high-quality content that we really want, as opposed to putting somebody in front of a mic and believing that that is radio? Where are we going to get the great in-depth documentaries, uh, the wonderful um, live uh, dramas, the children's programs, that very broad range, who is investing in that? And are we perhaps all just too obsessed with what's going on online? Because I think to the point that Professor Cooper has raised, 
online is just that, you know, you're all sitting here tweeting, writing, etc. But the mass citizenry is being accessed through the radio platform, and we, we must never forget that. So well done, Prof. It's really lovely to be here. I know that we have a lot of work ahead of us. I think it's always great to be under this umbrella where we can so freely speak about what we think about the competitors. Um, but I represent an industry body that includes a wide range of broadcasters. So the one thing I can't be doing is raising those critical issues. It's nice to see Greg here and many other of our members. Um, the one thing that industry bodies do, though, is we, we try to navigate the space and deal with the high key principal issues um, that, that we need to deal with in terms of policy and regulation. And those critical issues, and they, many issues that you can be very thankful you don't have to deal with, are moving in the space right now of copyright and copyright protection. Um, our government's taken out a barrage of different uh, pieces of legislation. We're talking about hate speech, we're talking about what's happening online. And in response to all of this, what happens in South Africa so often is we develop another piece of legislation and another piece of legislation, half of them we can't even implement. So as industry bodies, we're always having to project the, the concerns and the rights, of course, um, of all of you as broadcasters. So if you'd like to know more about the NAB, you can go onto our website, but I'm also here, um, and I wish you well, and I look forward to the next three days. Welcome. <laughs>